We now, we now come to Prime Minister's questions. And, and I call, just let people just settle down, Prime Minister. Congratulations on the christening. Uh, we now come to Prime Minister's questions. Number one, James Daly. James Daly. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, today marks 400 years since the sailing of the Mayflower, and this is a reminder to us of the beginning of an enduring alliance between our two nations. Around 35 million Americans today trace their ancestry to a Mayflower passenger, and I'm sure the whole House will want to join me in marking this historic anniversary. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. On National Teaching Assistance Day, will the Prime Minister join me in thanking teachers, teaching assistants and all support staff for the extraordinary work they are undertaking to bring our children back to schools, colleges and nurseries in COVID-secure environments throughout Berry, Ramsbottom and Tottington? And will he update the House on implementation of the National Tutoring Programme as many of the most vulnerable and disadvantaged children in my seat need this help at the earliest opportunity? Well, Mr Speaker, can I strongly echo his uh, congratulations and his thanks to teachers and just say that I believe personally passionately in the tutoring programme that we're launching and we expect the first group of tutors to be supporting schools from November with provision ramping up through the main remainder of the autumn and spring term. We now come to Angela Rayner, who is Deputy Leader. Yay! Deputy Leader Angela Rayner. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. And many people in the chamber today, Mr Speaker, will think the Battle of Britain is today. But actually, we marked the 80th anniversary of those veterans yesterday. And I want to put on record our thanks to all those who fought for our country yeah. in the past. Mr Speaker wants to start by reading the Prime Minister a message that I've received from a man called Kia. <laughs> Kia wasn't able to go to work today and his children couldn't go to school because his family had to wait for their coronavirus test results, despite the Prime Minister's promise of results within 24 hours. Yeah. Keir was able to do the right thing and self-isolate and work from home. But other people aren't in this position, Mr Speaker. Many of them are the very people who are getting us through this crisis, like the care workers that I used to work alongside before I was elected to this House. The Prime Minister once earned £2,300 an hour. So can the Prime Minister tell us what is the average hourly rate of a care worker in this country? Uh, well, Mr. Mr Speaker, I uh, congratulate uh, the uh, good Honourable right, Honourable Lady on, on, uh, on uh, her, her elevation. And, and, just, and just to say that um, she, she speaks of uh, the uh, constituent uh, Keir, and I can, I can tell her, uh, allegedly, uh, uh, apparently, Mr Speaker, uh, he, he has had a negative test. I don't know quite why uh, he is not here. Uh, but 89% uh, but of those who have tests get them uh, within uh, in-person tests, get them uh, the next day. And uh, we are working very fast to turn around the... Uh, all the test uh, requests that we get. And I think most people are looking at the record of this, uh, the record of this country in delivering uh, 
uh, tests across the nation, uh, we'll see that it actually compares extremely well uh, with any other European country. We've conducted more tests than any other European country. And that is why, that is why we are able uh, to deliver tests, uh, as I say, and deliver results uh, in 80% of the cases where we know, uh, where we know the, the contacts. And, and she, she says that uh, she asked about care homes, Mr. Speaker. And I can tell the House uh, today we are launching the uh, Winter Care Home Action Plan, and we will do everything. She's right to, to raise the, the issue of care homes. We are concerned about infection rates in care homes, but we will do everything we can to ensure that care homes and their workers are protected. And on her final point, Mr. Speaker, I am proud that it is this government that has instituted the national living wage uh, to ensure that every worker, every worker in this country, including care home workers, is paid substantially more thanks to the, the care and the work of the people of this country. Yeah. Oh, it's finished. Okay. The whole country, Mr Speaker, would have seen that the Prime Minister doesn't know how much a care worker earns, because that was my question. The shameful fact is that the average wage in social care is barely more than £8 an hour, and half of our social care workers earn less than the real living wage. Yeah, exactly. On his first day in office, the Prime Minister said, we will fix the crisis in social care once and for all with a clear plan that we have prepared. Yet still, there's no sign of the plan. And the additional funding to provide to prevent infection is going to run out, Mr Speaker, at the end of this month. So, will the Prime Minister commit today to give our social care sector the funding that it needs now to get through this looming winter crisis? Mr Speaker, she's, I mean, she's asking an important point, and we are concerned about the uh, rates of infection in, uh, in care homes. Clearly, they've come down massively uh, since we instituted the £600 million uh, care home action plan. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we will be announcing a further, uh, a further, as I say, a winter care home action plan. And, and, and she won't be, it won't surprise her to know that we want to see a toughening up of the, uh, the rules governing the movement of workers from one care home to another. We want to make sure uh, that we protect care homes from uh, further infections. And that is the right thing to do. And I, I pay tribute to all the care home workers uh, in this country for what they've done to help us bring down the disease. And we will make sure, Mr Speaker, and as, as we have done over the last few months, that they get the, the PPE that they need, that they get the uh, guidance that they need, and they get the cash that they need. And uh, that's what this government is committed to doing. Angela Rayner. Well, Mr Speaker, I do welcome the Prime Minister's comments, but I must say to the Prime Minister, get some skates on it. Those care workers are still not getting the PP they need. They're still not getting the testing they need. So I urge the Prime Minister to get on top of this problem now before the winter crisis hits. The Prime Minister has put his faith in Operation Moonshot. But meanwhile, on planet Earth, there was no NHS tests available for several high infection areas, including Tameside and Oldham, in my own constituencies. In July, the government promised that there would be weekly tests in care homes, and they promised this for September. So can the Prime Minister confirm yes or no? Do all care homes in this country have weekly tests? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, yes, to the best of my knowledge, care homes in this country, uh, care homes in this country should get uh, weekly tests for all staff 
members and uh, tests every 28 days for, uh, for those uh, who are in the care homes, the residents in the care homes. And Mr Speaker, uh, of course uh, she's right to express the frustration of people across this country about the, uh, the massive demand there is now for, for tests, and it has hugely increased. I think everybody can see just in the last few days uh, a colossal spike in the number of people who want tests and who want to ascertain whether they've got uh, coronavirus. And what we're, what we're trying to do now is meet that demand at record speed. And uh, just in the last couple of weeks, we've increased the uh, capacity of our testing systems uh, by 10%. We've got four new labs uh, that we are building in Newport, in Newcastle, uh, in Charmwood and in, uh, in Brant's Bridge. And we want to get up, just so she knows the scale of the ambition, we want to get up to 500,000 tests uh, per a day by the end of October. Now, as I say, that is a huge, huge number, and I really do pay tribute to all those who are delivering it, and I, I know that the, uh, the, the opposition benches like to make these international comparisons. I would just, just, just repeat, Mr Speaker, that we are testing more than any other European country. No? Well, Mr Speaker, I heard what the Prime Minister had to say, but I have to say to him yesterday, the Chief Executive of Care England said... We were promised weekly testing for staff. That has not been delivered. Time and time again, he makes promises and then breaks those promises. In June, he told this House, I can undertake now to get all tests turned around in 24 hours by the end of June. They've had six months, Mr Speaker, to get this right. And yet the Prime Minister still can't deliver on his promises. The Health Secretary said yesterday... It would take weeks to sort the situation out. Well, Mr Speaker, we don't have weeks. But the government's latest figures show that there were an average of 62,000 people tested per day, not 500,000. The Prime Minister has said that testing capacity is at 300,000, but the average is 62,000 a day. How does the Prime Minister explain this? Mr Speaker, uh, we have delivered on, uh, as I say, uh, the most thoroughgoing testing regime anywhere in, in, in Europe. And uh, we now have capacity, I think capacity has gone up from 200, uh, the, sorry, the number of tests per day conducted, not capacity, has gone up from 210,000 uh, last week to 240,000 this week. And uh, just, to, just to repeat the statistics, uh, we, are, we are now uh, per 1,000 people, Mr Speaker. This country is testing uh, 2.54, Germany 1.88, uh, Spain 1.91, and France 1.89. In other words, uh, we are delivering exactly what we said we would do. What is happening, Mr Speaker, is that, is that the, British, the British people, quite understandably, are responding uh, to that system with a huge, huge surge in demand. And so it's very important that everybody follows the guidance about when uh, they should be getting a test. The guidance sent out uh, by Public Health England, which has been sent to, to schools and, uh, and, uh, and uh, from the NHS Test and Trace. Angela Ray. Well, Mr Speaker, once again, I see that the Prime Minister says it's somebody else's fault. It's the public that are using up the tests. These were the government's own figures and own targets, Mr Speaker, that they failed on. And the next time a man with Covid symptoms drives from London to Durham, it'll probably be for the nearest Covid test. Yeah. Now, Mr Speaker, I want to start to move on to another very serious issue. 
Alongside the tragic stories we've heard of relatives dying alone in care homes and people not being able to say goodbye to their loved ones, we've also heard from mothers who have had to give birth without the support of their partners or their family. The Health Secretary yesterday said that the new guidance had been issued, but even under that new guidance, many birth partners will not be allowed to join at that moment of until that moment of established labour, leaving women enduring difficult labours, or even worse, traumatic and devastating miscarriages alone without support. Will the Prime Minister agree to meet with me and my honourable friends and work with us to ensure that no woman is forced to give birth without the support that they need? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, she's absolutely right to raise the issue that she, she does, and I know that members across the House will uh, share her feelings entirely. Uh, I totally agree that birth partners uh, should be able to attend the birth. That's why uh, we changed the, uh, the guidance in the way that we, uh, that we did. Uh, but, and of course, I'm uh, very happy to encourage a cooperation between her and uh, my right honourable friends uh, in the Health Department uh, to, to take the matter forward. But we, we, I perfectly understand the point that uh, that she makes, and she's entirely right. Angela Ray. I welcome the Prime Minister's comments, and I think that was a yes, Mr Speaker, but I will follow it up, but thank you for those comments. Mr Speaker, infections are rising. The testing system is collapsing. When you are the Prime Minister, you can't keep trying to blame other people for your own incompetence. We have the highest death toll in Europe, and we're on course for one of the worst recessions in the developed world. This winter, we are staring down the barrel of a second wave with no plan for the looming crisis. People can't say goodbye to their loved ones. Grandparents can't see their grandchildren and frontline staff can't get the tests that they need. And what was the top priority for the COVID war cabinet this weekend? restoring grouse shooting. I suppose, Mr Speaker, it's good news for people like the Prime Minister's friend who paid for a luxury Christmas getaway to a Caribbean island and funded his leadership campaign and just so happens to own two grouse moor estates. So, Prime Minister, is this really your top priority? Mr Speaker, while, while the uh, Labour opposition uh, has been consistently carping from the, the sidelines throughout this crisis and raising, uh, frankly, uh, I think issues that are tangential, uh, uh, if not scare stories, uh, about uh, what is going on, we are getting on with uh, delivering for the British public. We're not only ramping up, massively ramping up, and she, Mr Speaker, she, uh, she hasn't contested any of my statistics today about the extent to which uh, this country is now testing more than any uh, other European country. She hasn't disputed the massive acceleration in our programme. We are getting on. Uh, I'll answer the substance of her question. Uh, thank you very much. We're getting on with delivering on the priorities of the British people, getting us through this COVID crisis, delivering on making our country safer, by the way, uh, bringing forward measures to stop the early release of dangerous sexual and violent offenders, which I hope that uh, she will support, uh, strengthening our union, Mr Speaker, which in principle, 
uh, which in principle the front bench opposite uh, should support, building more homes across this country, more affordable homes across this country, which, which, which he should support, in addition to, more, in addition to recruiting uh, more doctors, more nurses and building uh, more hospitals. Mr Speaker, I don't think anybody is in any doubt that this government is facing some of the most difficult dilemmas that any modern government has had to face. But every day we are helping to solve them thanks to the massive common sense of the British people who are getting on, who are getting on with delivering, delivering our programme, getting on with delivering our fight against coronavirus. And it's with the common sense, it's with the common sense of the British people that we will, we will succeed, build back better and stronger than ever before. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is rightly levelling up across the country, giving that issue both barrels. But I know that the South West has often been overlooked. Can the Prime Minister reassure this House and members from across the South West that we will invest in digital and transport infrastructure, we will turbocharge opportunity, and we will provide the growth that they need in the South West? And to that effect, will he meet with a delegation from the South West to discuss the opportunities that are before us? Uh, Mr Speaker, it's precisely because we believe in uh, his vision that I share of a great South West that uh, we are allocating uh, considerable sums to the maintenance and improvement of uh, school estates in uh, his constituency. I might single out West Albion to Church of England Academy and Eden Park Primary and Nursery School, uh, which will benefit from just some of this funding. And as for his request, I will happily consult uh, my diary, Mr Speaker. We now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, in his previous life as a Daily Telegraph journalist, this Prime Minister wrote, and I quote, Devolution is causing all the strains that its opponents predicted, and in allowing the Scots to make their own laws while free-riding on English taxpayers, it is simply unjust. So, let me ask the Prime Minister two specific questions that need two specific answers. Firstly, does he still think that devolution in Scotland is unjust? And secondly, where does he believe full spending and decision-making powers over our NHS, education, infrastructure, economic development, culture and sport should be held? With Scotland's Parliament or with Westminster? Uh, obviously, Mr Speaker, there is a uh, very considerable and there has been a massive devolution of powers to, uh, to Scotland uh, and uh, the Scottish people had the opportunity to, to vote for more uh, in uh, 2014, as he will recall, in a once-in-a-generation uh, event, uh, and uh, they chose decisively to reject that, uh, I, I recall, uh, and I think that he said it was a once-in-generation event uh, uh, as well. Uh, they now have the opportunity, Mr Speaker, uh, to vote to support the further devolution of powers in the UK Internal Market Bill, uh, and, and, I hope that, and I hope that he will join us in the lobbies uh, in support of that bill. Ian Blackford. My goodness, what nonsense. I never once talked about a once-in-a-generation, and the Prime Minister should withdraw that. As usual, as usual, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is all over the place. He doesn't remember what he's written. He doesn't understand his own Brexit deal, and he doesn't even know what's in the internal market bill. I'll tell him. Clause 46 of this bill allows this Tory government to bypass Scotland's Parliament and take decisions on the NHS, 
on education, on infrastructure, on economic development, culture and sport, Mr Speaker, a blatant power grab. We all know that the to- what the Tory back ventures are saying behind closed doors. The Prime Minister's incompetent. He can't govern and they want him away before the next election. Mr Speaker, Scotland's legacy will be in being a fair, decent, law-abiding, independent nation-state. Will the Prime Minister's legacy be leading the UK to break international law and break this failing union? Here, here. Minister. Um, well, Mr Speaker, I'm uh, not quite clear from that question whether he's in favour of the union or not. I take it from his hostility to me, Mr Speaker, uh, that he wants to support the, the union. So do I. And the best thing he can do is to support the UK Internal Market Bill, which buttresses, as he knows, a surge of powers transferred uh, to the devolved administrations in more than 70 areas. And I, I should just remind him that, it, that just in the, last, uh, in, in the recent uh, coronavirus crisis, uh, £5.4 billion have been transferred uh, to spent in Scotland as a result of Barnet uh, consequentials. And I'm proud to say uh, that 70% of the testing that has taken place in Scotland has been supported by the UK Government. And, uh, and, 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 and I hope for that reason, if, if he's a convert to the union, which I take it from his question, uh, then that is just one of the reasons he should back it. Yeah. Well, Logan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and please allow me to push back against what has just been said. The Prime Minister has done a stellar job at fending off economic depression right across the United Kingdom, including in Scotland. Now, my worry turns to a psychological uh, depression. Tighter restrictions have forced more businesses to shut in Bolton. And whilst 13,900 jobs were saved through furlough, more needs to be done. When the time is right, can I invite the Prime Minister to pound the streets of Bolton North East and before then send in the pennies of the Exchequer and more testing kits from health? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker we will uh, do that, and uh, I'm delighted to say that Bolton uh, will receive at least 500, in addition to the, the, the £40 billion we spent on uh, the coronavirus job retention scheme, £130 billion uh, plan for, for jobs, Bolton uh, will receive at least 500000 from the Towns Fund, uh, Mr. Speaker, to spend on uh, your high street, uh, their high street, Mr. Speaker, and community. Come to the new leader of the Lib Dems, Shrewd Daly. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Research by the Disabled Children's Partnership shows that three quarters of families with disabled children had their care support stopped during lockdown. The Coronavirus Act is partly to blame, as it relaxed the duties to assess and meet the needs of disabled people. As a father of a disabled child and the patron of the Disability Law Service. I've seen legal advice that suggests that his government broke international law in how the Coronavirus Act reduced the rights of disabled people. So before this House is asked to renew the Coronavirus Act, will he meet with me to discuss how we protect the rights to care of disabled people and act lawfully? 
Uh, well, uh, Mr. Speaker, first can I congratulate him on uh, his uh, securing the leadership of his, of his party. And I'm, I'm, I'm say to him, I'm not aware of the, that uh, particular allegation about the legal effects of the Coronavirus Act and be only uh, too happy to uh, write him uh, very shortly to clarify the matter. Nigel Mills. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. A resident of Amber Valley were finally relieved yesterday when a proposal for a thousand strong festival were withdrawn after it became clear the council didn't necessarily have the power to resist it, even given the ongoing public health crisis. Could the Prime Minister ensure that councils can, while COVID restrictions remain in place, resist such festivals in the interest of public health? Uh, I thank my honourable friend for that important question because I do believe it illuminates a a question that uh, councils are asking themselves and I wish to affirm very strongly that they do have uh, the power uh, to stop such events uh, in the interests of public health and they've taken the right decision. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland said that the UK Internal Market Bill would breach our obligations under international law. Yesterday, the Advocate General for Scotland said that the Secretary of State was wrong to say that. Today, the Secretary of State says that the Advocate General was wrong to say that he was wrong. (laughs) Now, it's of course possible that they are both right in saying that the other is wrong. (laughs) But surely an important matter such as this requires clarity. And for that reason... Will the Prime Minister now undertake to publish the advice he's had from all his law officers so that the House can make an informed decision on the question of legality come Monday? I I thank the right honourable gentleman. I think he asked substantially the same question last week. And uh, as he knows, we don't uh, publish uh, Attorney General's uh, advice. Governments don't normally publish such uh, advice. But what what I can certainly say is what I've said to uh, the right hon. General Leader of Scottish Nationalists, that, of course, uh, this bill is intended to uphold the uh, economic, the political, uh, territorial integrity of the United Kingdom, and I believe it should be supported by every member of this House. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right hon. Friend has always highlighted the importance of gigabit connectivity, and digital infrastructure has been vital in keeping us connected throughout the pandemic. Could he update the House on the Government's progress towards the rollout of gigabit broadband across the country, and in particular, whether the £5 billion of Government funding is being used to connect hard-to-reach areas like those in my North Devon constituency? Yes, I can, Mr Speaker, and we are rolling out full fibre. I thank her very much, and we are we're rolling out uh, full fibre broadband to the North Moor area and uh, investing £10 million in partnership with the local authority, gearing up to invest over £30 million across Devon and Somerset to target 70,000 premises uh, in her constituency that don't have good enough const- uh, connectivity. Ian Bell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The figures released this week by the Trussell Trust forecast that we give out six emergency food parcels every minute this winter. Will the Prime Minister commit to two urgent measures to tackle this humanitarian disaster which is happening in all our communities Firstly, will he commit to an additional £250 investment in the local welfare assistance schemes to bring England in line with the rest of the UK, as requested by the Children's Trust and the Trussell Trust? And secondly, will he meet with me and partner organisations as a matter of agency to discuss bringing the right to food into UK law? Uh, Well, I thank the 
uh, honourable gentleman, that what the, what the government do, is doing uh, is, of course, supporting local councils to the tune of 3.7 uh, billion uh, for their the extra needs occasioned by coronavirus. 380 million gone into supporting uh, food ne- meals for, uh, for for particularly pupils for for, for young people who who need it, uh, and, a, and a massive programme of investment, 9 billion pound investment to to lift up uh, universal credit to support uh, the, the neediest in, in our society. But I can tell him that the, my right friend, the Chancellor, will continue to apply the maximum creativity to uh, putting our arms around the British people as we uh, go forward through this crisis. Mr Speaker, does my right honourable friend agree that this government's internal market bill will protect our United Kingdom, strengthen our mission to level up and back our negotiators? Uh, Mr Speaker, I I could not have put it better myself. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the week in which the Prime Minister announced the government's new strategy on obesity, the eating disorder charity Beat experienced a 165% increase in number of people contacting their support services. I am pleased that the Prime Minister is focused on obesity, which is a very serious national health issue. But as the chair of the APPG on eating disorders, I have been contacted by many um, who suffer from an eating disorders, and they have approached me with concerns with certain aspects of his obesity strategy and the um, adverse effects it would have on them. Will the Prime Minister take um, these concerns seriously and commit to arrange to a meeting between sufferers of an eating disorder, myself, and the relevant minister in his health team? Uh, Yes, Mr Speaker, and I'm acutely conscious that there are no glib, uh, easy answers in in this area of uh, of public policy, and I happily undertake that the the relevant minister should uh, meet with the Honourable Lady as, as fast as possible to, to understand her concerns and uh, the concerns of her constituents. Speaker, regional airports are going to play a crucial role in our recovery from the pandemic and in levelling up our country. But many of them, such as Cornwall Airport Newquay, have been very hard hit, not only because of the lockdown, but also the demise of Flybe. There There is a very real concern that if our smaller airports close at this time, they may never open again, which will make the government's levelling up agenda even harder to deliver. So could my right honourable friend please ensure that our regional airports get all the help that they need, whether that be through grants, the government backing more public sector obligation routes, and would he carefully look at reducing air passenger duty, particularly on domestic flights? Uh, yes, uh, Mr Speaker, I can, I can tell uh, my honourable friend, I thank him for uh, sticking up for Newquay Airport, vital airport in the way that, which I've used many times, happening in the way that he, in the way that he does. Uh, we will continue to uh, consider applications for public service uh, obligations on routes uh, such as uh, into Newquay and, uh, and elsewhere. And, uh, and uh, we, we will certainly look at air passenger duty, though, Mr Speaker, it would be wrong of me uh, to make any fiscal uh, commitment at this stage. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister holds the power to save jobs or sacrifice the livelihoods of my constituents. Currently, 17,700 people living in my constituency of York Central are furloughed. Their future rests in his hand. Next month, 22% of my constituents could lose their jobs and lose their futures unless furlough is extended. Reformed, yes, more flexible and must, targeted, absolutely. Extend and review is the only way forward. My question, Mr Speaker, is will the Prime Minister do this? 
Well, Mr. Speaker, I, I think it's very important. I, I hope the honourable lady is not, is not saying she simply wants to extend the furlough scheme, because I don't believe that was the, is the right way. And I, I see the, the front bench uh, shake, uh, shaking their head. I don't think that is sensible. We need to get people uh, off furlough into into work. And that is what uh, this government is, is doing. That's why we've got the £2 billion uh, kickstart fund, uh, in particular to help uh, young people into work. That's why we have the, uh, the job retention bonus, uh, to encourage uh, employers to take people uh, back on, to continue uh, to employ people. And uh, to uh, answer her point directly, we will continue uh, to apply, as I said uh, just now, the maximum creativity as we have in uh, putting our arms around the workforce of the UK. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I recently visited the beautiful Mickfield Hall, a wedding venue in Sarratt, won by Anne and Jamie Rankin, to listen to their concerns about the wedding industry. Would the Prime Minister consider changing the number of attendees from a blanket limit of 30 to a fairer system, which allows venues to hold a percentage, say 50%, of their usual licence activity? This would allow many venues to bounce back and keep on their furloughed staff. Uh, well, I, 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 I so understand and appreciate the, the concerns of, uh, of his constituents, which I, I know will have been raised with uh, other members around this House, not just for the, the weddings uh, business, but for many other businesses which are facing restrictions as, as a result of the, uh, the social distancing rules that we, we've had to, to bring in. Uh, the trouble is, Mr Speaker, that in all these things there is an increase in uh, the risk involved, an increase in the spread of the, the risk of contagion, and we simply have to balance that uh, risk against what we're seeing now in the spread of the virus. And so uh, I must reluctantly say uh, to the Honourable Member uh, that we will work as fast as possible to get our whole economy open, to take all these restrictions off, but the way to do that is if the whole country works together, as they have done, as we have done so far, to enforce social distancing, to obey the basic rules about hand, space, space, and get a test if you have symptoms, and the rule of six, indoors and outdoors. That is the way that we will beat this virus. That's the way we'll control it and allow weddings and all other sectors, Mr Speaker, to open up again. Um, Mr Speaker, I too have had constituents in Cardiff, South and Penarth contacting me with serious concerns on testing and it's clear that the problems originate not in Wales but with the UK testing and online system leading to rationing, chaos and confusion all the while the virus spreads further. Now we're told, Mr Speaker, that his chum Cummings has a seeing room. Well, it's clearly not working because this should have been seen coming months ago, months ago, like the exams fiasco. The truth is he's incompetent. He hasn't got control of this. When is he going to get a grip? Uh, Mr Speaker, I think that, uh, once again, the opposition is at risk of undermining the colossal work of NHS Test and, NHS test and, uh, and Trace. And, uh, and uh, as he, as, uh, let me just give him one, one statistic, Mr Speaker. Just in the last week, the average distance that people have had to go for a test has come down from uh, six or seven miles to five miles. We are continuing to improve this system the whole time. And I would remind the House, of those who want to, to run it down, that we are testing more, conducting more tests than any other European country. Testing more people 
per thousand of population than any other European. Those are the facts. He doesn't like it. All he wants to do, Mr. Speaker, is score party political points. We now come to Deanna Davison. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, every day I receive messages from Bishop Auckland residents about crime and about how they want to see we politicians taking a tougher stance. Uh, my own history involves you know, learning about violent crime in a way I never wish to learn about it, um, and that's part of the reason that I actually stand here today. The first duty of any government is to protect the public it serves, but for too long our criminal justice system has fallen short of the mark. So will my right honourable friend assure me that the government he leads will take all steps necessary to keep criminals off our streets, to crack down on crime and to keep the public safe. Yes, Mr Speaker, and that's that's, that's why we're uh, not only recruiting another 20,000 police officers, and uh, I think think about 5,000 of them uh, have already been recruited, but also uh, the the opposition front bench is is, is, is making a noise. Uh, That's also why we're introducing measures to stop the early release of serious sexual and violent offenders. I take it it from the noises I'm hearing opposite that they approve of that, Mr Speaker, and they will support us in the lobbies. We're heading up to Linlithgow to see Martin Day. Martin Day. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given that the 1950s-born women have lost their case in the Court of Appeal yesterday, any restitution for the women affected, 350,000 of whom are in Scotland, needs political action. So what will the Prime Minister now do to honour his own words from last year to return to this issue with fresh vigour and new eyes and see what he can do to sort it out? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I will have to study the judgment uh, in detail. I'd be happy to write uh, to the Honourable Member. In order to allow the safe exit of honourable members participating in this item of business and the safe arrival of those participating in the next, spend in the House for three minutes. Order. 